Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm Chris England, and I'm here to tell you about the Fun Factory podcast, available now on Great Big Owl. Each time, I will be reading a couple of chapters of my novel, The Fun Factory, a historical comedy about the history of comedy, so it will kind of be like a free audiobook, which you can listen to at the gym, or jogging, or at your desk while pretending to do your job, or on the train, without the embarrassment of people seeing you actually reading a book like some kind of swat. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello once again, my precious jewels, my rare gems, my emeralds, my rubies, my sapphires, my pebbles. Pebbles, pebbles are special too. Welcome to the Anna Man podcast with me, Anna Man, actress, singer, occasional lollipop lady, the zebra crossing be my stage and the traffic my adoring audience. I repeatedly bow to their beeps. I never stop performing, my darlings. And there's nothing wrong with lollipop ladies. Some of the best actors and actresses I know started as lollipop ladies. David Suchet was one for years. Now, you're probably feeling a ripple of recognition if you don't know me already. You may have seen me in the gripping kitchen sink drama, Get Mam Out the Bath, The Doctor's Here. Fuck, that was heavy stuff. Get Mam Out the Bath, The Doctor's Here! That was the opening line and the closing line, which I thought was very clever. And then, of course, we did the hilarious farce of the same name a year later, Get Mam Out the Bath, The Doctor's Here! Almost exactly the same script, but just a lot of opening and closing doors. Also, you might know me, of course, from Reservoir Dogs, the musical version which we performed at the Tittery Whoppet in Chiswick back in 1999. Um, How did it go? Let's see if I remember. Uh, One, two, three. I got Charlie fucking Chan in the one ear and Madonna's big dick in the other ear. I can't hear a thing, and all I want to do is sing, 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 sing. We're all colours of the rainbows. Very high. Mr. Blue, Pink, Blonde, Green and Orange. Why do we have to fight each other? Put down your guns and let's be friends. We're all reservoir dogs. What is a reservoir dog? I don't know, but I'm stuck in the middle with you. What am I going to do? Reservoir Dogs! Incredible, it really was. It really was. And I think all four people who turned up to see it had a really good time. Or at least afterwards, when we had a drink, they did. In fact, to be honest, we didn't bother doing the second act the last night. We just went, should we all go for a drink? This is shit. And of course, darlings, for the last ten weeks, I've been hosting my late night cheese sex and self-isolation party, a sort of online version of one of my live nights, which I know many of you have been attending and enjoying, or not, that's by the by. We've had all sorts of guests, uh, Nick Helm, it's been really good fun. It was on twitch.tv slash nextupcomedy, and there is one more to come, and then, my darlings... Que sera, sera, mano e mano, uh, regarde mon petit chauffeur. It's time to move on. So this Saturday is the final episode ever. Oh, God, don't you cry, Juan Quail, if you're listening. Although I don't think he came to the last one. He's changed. Juan Quail, Gay Dog 9. This won't mean anything to people who haven't been, but don't you cry, darlings. All right, Beatles Gal 25. It'll be all right. You'll get by somehow. But I'm glad to know that a lot of you got a little bit of comfort, a little bit of help from it during our lockdown, which now seems to have just gone to shit anyway. So, you know, 
I'll probably just start performing in the street soon. But this week, yes, is the last one. So please do tune in if you can. Bring some cheese. It always helps the show. That's just what the show's about. It's at 10 p.m. on Saturday. Um, bring some cheese and some sex if you can get it. You know, it's very hard at the minute to get it unless you're living with the person who gives it. What? And even then, you know, we've been staring at each other's faces for months. Do we really want to have sex? Ugh, you know. But no, if you can, I do recommend making love throughout the show. Um, I've been missing it like crazy. I really have a good old shag. I hate to get graphic, but I love shagging. And I've been stuck in this house with mother, my daughter, my granddaughter. My only possible option is my best friend, Sue Clinch. And to be honest, darlings, I really don't think I'd survive the experience. No one else has before. I can't wait to get out there and have a proper good old shag. I've been watching the hot runners running up and down outside my house. Really gorgeous, honestly. I've been trying to lean out the window and mouth to them, you know, fancy a shag. Darling, darling, fancy a shag. You there with the beard. Darling, stop running. Do you fancy a shag? But, you know, mother keeps standing next to me mouthing, she's a slut. She's diseased. Awful woman. She really is. She's ruined my life, you know. And I really hoped that this would be the end of her, but she's still clinging on somehow. God, she's an awful woman. Anyway, if you can, I do recommend a little bit of a shag during the show or just in life. I just I recommend sex because I, I it, no, it is it is good fun sometimes, you know. And if at all possible, it's great to make love during the show. You will get a better experience. Although that could be said for most things, I think. My late husband, John Smells, Smellsy, little ripple of recognition you're probably feeling, we would make love in all sorts of random places. God, when I think back. Tesco's, Ryman's, uh, an abattoir, and once in Royal David City. It always made the experience better. It really did. Um, Not necessarily for John. He had a very bad heart. So orgasming for him was like Russian roulette. But my todger's the gun, as he used to say. And we would laugh and then we'd shag again. Also, you may notice this podcast has been a bit more random than usual, even in terms of when it's coming out, what's coming out and if you should bother. I've been umming and ahhing or humming and rahring about what to do with this show. You know, I know it's got lots of fans which is lovely, but I'm trying to increase the bunch. And I'm still trying to work out ways. And I love to mess around with things. As you as you know, I am a terrible tinkerer. In fact, I did play one in the Germanic fairy tale, The Terrible Tinkerer, or Das Schreckliche Bastler. Beware of the terrible tinkler, mein Kinder. She tinkers with your stuff, and it never quite works right again. I mean, it was mainly just tinkering with kitchen appliances, ovens, toasters, that sort of thing. But still a terrifying concept. It really was. Anyway, the point is, what I've decided, and I'll probably change my mind again next week. One quail, don't come at me. But what I've decided is to combine the elements of the various pods that you love into one weekly bonanza. Bonanza? Bonanza? Banana. One weekly banana. With a lovely intro from me, which is this. A shorter interview. Just, you know, 15 minutes or so. And finally, one of my renowned bedtime anecdotes, which this week has been partly written by our old pal Dave Edwards. As always, please do let me know your thoughts, as I have fuck all idea what I'm doing, and I've been doing this for donkey's years. Now, to finish off, I'd just like to get a tad serious for a moment. On my Saturday show, I mentioned this, and I thought I'd just mention it again for you poddies, but I would like to express Anna Mann's and all the household's solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement and their fight for justice, as well as our absolute awe at those people who are out there fighting for an end to racism in all its vile forms and for an equal society at last. It's brought me to tears many times the last couple of weeks, and I wholeheartedly agree that it's not enough to just not be racist. We must be actively anti-racist. It's a real struggle, I think, to realise this for white people uh, like me. I was reading recently that the mind goes into fight or flight when it's confronted with information that challenges its world view, especially mine. I mean, I go into fight or flight when I discover we've run out of Chinzano. 
But no, the point is that when you've thought a thing or believed a thing or hoped a thing for all your life and then someone turns around and says, all that's wrong, it can cause horrible reactions. And I've seen a lot of people having very horrible reactions. Mother's been spouting all that stuff, you know, all lives matter, she keeps screaming, all lives matter. And I mean, it's very hard to explain it to her, to unpick a lifetime of bitterness and cruelty, but I thought I'd give it a go. First of all, I say, mother... You say all lives matter, but you've been aggressively telling me that my life literally doesn't matter since the day I learnt to ski. I learnt to ski before I learnt to walk. It's a long story. Secondly, mother, look at it this way. If somebody broke their leg and they asked you for help, you wouldn't say, ah, but what about my leg? Well, what about my leg? She asks. Well, nothing about your leg. What's wrong with it? She says. Well, no, no, your leg's fine. I mean, it's not. It's your leg, so it's hideous like the rest of you. But the point is, it's not broken, is it? Like the other person whose leg was broken. Sue jumps in. Mine's broken. I said, yes, darling, your leg is broken. That's fair enough. But that's because you got bored and attempted a one-woman version of Stephen King's Misery, Sue. She's not well. Of course all lives matter. Nobody said they didn't. But the point is that for so long, black lives haven't been treated as mattering as much as white lives. This is a long overdue and desperately needed movement. Anyway, eventually I sat her down and showed her some stuff. And I'm glad to say even Mother was moved to acknowledge something must be done. We all shared a hug and a tear and resolved to do better. Now, before we move on to our interview, I'd just like to share a bit of philosophy with you. I am something of a philosopher. I've thought a lot of philosophical things at the past. What if dragons really did exist? Is it all right if you feel happy, but your best friend is having to be your table, Sue Clinch? She's not well, but she asked. She said, can I be your table? I went, sure. And of course, you know, if the universe is everything, what's outside the universe? I thought about that for a long time, and I've decided just a big ball. So here's a question. Is it all right to put a stone in the bin? (gasps) Very tricky one, that one, isn't it? I mean, that's bamboozled philosophers since there were stones or bins. My best friend Sue Clinch keeps bringing stones into the house, basically. This is where it comes from. She's convinced that they are magic stones. She's not well, as I said. She saw somewhere, if you eat stones, it can protect you from the virus. She reads a lot of Donald Trump stuff. I said, Sue, if you eat all those stones, you will die. And to be fair, you know, as she pointed out, being already dead is quite possibly the ultimate protection from dying. Anyway, she's still trying to do it. So I've had to gather the stones up and get rid of them all. But where do I put them? It's a real conundrum, you know, because... I'd have to take them at least six miles away, or Sue would just bring them back to her house. In that sense, she's not unlike a mouse, but in no other sense. Unless it was a seven-foot mouse covered in muscles and frothing at the mouth. I almost said mouse there. She's not well, bless her. So anyway, how do I get rid of these stones? I can't just dump them out the window in a pile. People would think we're building a graveyard or something. So in the end, I threw them in the bin. But this felt awful. I mean, these stones have been formed for millions of years. They probably were part of the original continent, um, pancake, whatever it was called. And now they end up picked up by Sue. She tries to eat them. I get them off her. And then what do I do with the stone? I just put it in the bin and it feels bad. After millions of years, these stones end up dumped in a sack with last night's artichoke hearts and an empty bottle of Chinsano. I know that's the second time I've mentioned Chinsano. So anyway, if anyone has any thoughts on this, is it all right to put a stone in the bin? That's the big question, basically, that we're asking. So do get in touch with the podcast, probably on my Twitter Anime Actress, or you can do it via Patreon if you are a patron. If you're not a patron, become a patron. Patreon stuff. It's the future. Or perhaps you could send an email to colinholtcomedy at gmail.com if you must, and I will force him to reply. Anyway, the philosophy is over. Time to move on to the main segment of the show, talking to actors. This time we're talking to a man, and he is a man, who many of you may have thought was a myth, a legend, like the Loch Ness Monster or the Great Gatsby. But he is in fact real. This is Margaret Caborn Smith's husband. 
Now, when she mentioned it, many people were like, bless you, darling, you don't have a husband. But it turns out she does. Not only does she have a husband, I remembered as we were talking, I worked with him. And not only did I work with him, I cast him in my Sky Art special. And I was at the wedding. So once again, Anna's memory has come up trumps, but but quite the opposite. So once again, Anna's memory has come up shits. So here is my interview with Dan, Margaret Caborn-Smith, Tetzel. And Margaret comes in as well. She doesn't let him speak for himself. But, you know, that becomes very evident when you listen. Anyway, see you after for my bedtime anecdote. Have fun with this. Of course, I kept suggesting you were making it up. And then I realised, of course, not only have I met you, Dan, but I was at your wedding. Well, you know, everyone was very drunk. Well, oh, yes. God, they were. And you weren't there for very much of it, no, were you? No, Who, Dan? You spent a lot of time in the library. Yes. Oh, yes, you were reading. I, you had yeah. that book to finish, didn't you? I remember going, speech, speech, where is the groom, speech? <laughs> uh, but you were halfway through, I think it was Tristram Shandy, was it? I think it was... Uh... Uh, it was Wilt, Wilt, wasn't it? it was Wilt. I felt bad for Margaret, actually. I really did, Margaret, because you were all there mm. in that lovely dress, you know, looking the best you could. I was really trying. You were yeah. really trying to look the part. He's, he's the always time. very trying. But, of course, you know, we were going, where is the groom? Where is the groom? And he was nose deep in a book. But, no, well, do you remember when he did eventually do his speech? He just read a few chapters. Yes, and, actually, and he sort of said, I did have a speech prepared, but yeah. actually I'm quite into this book. Do you mind if I just read some of this out loud? Everyone that night went home and bought Wilt. Sales well, spiked. Well, partly because you, you sort of made them, because you said, don't worry about wedding presents. And Margaret, you said, yes, yes, you know, we're putting money oh, together yes. for a honeymoon. And then Dan went, no, don't worry about that. Just go out and buy a copy of Wilt, will you? Just so you could start that book club. It was the wedding of the century, it really was. I had a lot of fun, and I loved doing that Well, the century was only a few years in, wasn't it? um, Well, we've got a long way to go. There might be a better wedding, but I I can't imagine how. I doubt it, yes. None of us will make it to it, I assume. God, no, that part of our lives is over, I think. Um, (laughs) If, If the coronavirus has done one good thing, it's, you know... Kill, weddings. kill off weddings, won't it? It'll kill, kill off, off weddings. They were always a very silly idea. And as you both know, I've had, you know, I think it's 13. I don't know. There's a few that just <laughs> oh. I kind of forget. Some of them were really just a big party. And then, you know, I finished it the day after. And when I look a back, few, I, of them I'm not horrible. sure any of them were a good idea. A few of them were what? Sorry, darling. Horrible. Horrible. Awful. Just sort of vicious. Mm. Vicious weddings. You know, some of them you seem to just want to get up to say to your groom how awful he was and what he owed you well sometimes the groom sometimes you know certain people in the audience who i felt had very much leapfrogged over me career-wise i mean that's why i kept you you two there obviously just to make me feel like all right well at least dan and margaret are still you know where they are and that's good and i don't mean that offensively you understand no no, 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 of course, because we buy one piece of crockery at every wedding, so... Yes. So, I mean, you need about three more before you've got the set, I think, don't you? So Yes, I've got... Us, well, anyway. well, I mean, and one of them's just a mug, so that's not... I'm not too worried exactly. about that. Exactly, so, yeah. I'm really yeah, struggling yeah. without a platter. Well, you need to get married again, mm. then. Well, I know, but it's so hard and not isn't it? Sue Clinch yeah. proposed to me yesterday, and of course we can get married now, and it would be platonic for me. because I, It would be a hell of a wedding, yeah. I mean, we'd have to have it underground, obviously, because she's really struggling yes, with the, they changed the sun at the about, minute. About whether yeah. you can have a wedding underground? No, well, whether people like Sue can get married. I thought if they were on that watch list, they weren't allowed to... No, they are allowed to marry. They're definitely not oh. allowed to drive. They are allowed no. to marry, but they're not allowed to procreate. Yes, yes. Which wouldn't be a problem, you know, because we're, I mean, we're well past that, you know, let's be honest. No, exactly, yeah. I mean, I might as well marry her, to be honest, just to get the platter. I mean, (laughs) she's proposed to me three times in lockdown, but I think she thought I was someone else. She kept calling me George. Anyway, we're going off on a tangent, obviously. The listeners are here to learn some tips about acting. Yes, we're off on a tangent next week, actually. Well, I did check with my MP. I asked him, I said, darling, the advice from the government is getting very confused 
confusing. We don't know right or left. Sue wants to go off on a no. tangent. Is that <laughs> going to be all right? Or is that, you know, um, she said, I don't want to go off on a tangent. It was lovely because we got a proper MP heading, you know, from his office and all oh. that. It was a very official letter. Ooh. But then all he'd done is just draw a doodle of a, a man looking over a wall. And he was saying, I don't know. They really don't know what's going on anymore, do they? I feel bad. A chad. It's called a chad, is it? That man, what no? What no? Yes. Yes. What no tangent? What no tangent? I believe. Yeah. It was actually quite insulting, yeah. to be honest. Let's give some focus to this interview, Margaret, because you know you've okay. demanded we give your husband a chance. He's finally on, thank God, you know, because he really needs the work, bless him. And this isn't work. So it's paid. It's paid in exposure. Do you know what oh, that is? Right, yes. Yes, yes. yes it... Margaret's meant to be here to increase the bunch. We just want two really good listeners, don't we? Well, I just want one person Ooh. to get to the end. Back in the day when I used to make uh, radio programmes, what we would do in order to make sure people listened all the way to the end was put a clue to a, a treasure at the end of every episode. We would bury a golden nugget somewhere in the country and then people would have to listen to the end of the programme in order to work out where the... Where it oh, was, that's yeah. clever. That budgets were bigger then, yeah. Well, maybe I should just say, you know, at the end of the episode, I'll give out my PIN number. <laughs> yes. Or if you wanted a longer series, just the long number on the front of the card. Yes. 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 And then people would have to pay to get the three digits on the back. That's clever, isn't it? And then just when I get yeah. to the end, I'll cancel my card. Exactly. This is it. <laughs> or, We've got it. This is how we increase the bunch. Darling. Just give a false one. No? No, you God, no. I will not. I can't fake it, Margaret. That's the difference between you and me as actors. I can't fake it. <laughs> Which is a problem as an actor. In a, This is a true story of my misspent youth as a sketch comedian. I met Marcus Brigstock and Danny Robbins, who I was in a sketch team with when they joined university and I. I was hanging around like a loser. And at one point, we were raising money to go to Edinburgh. And one of the things we did was run a raffle. And I wasn't very happy about this. <laughs> I only found out much later that one of the prizes was a trip to Paris. And someone in the drama department won the trip to Paris. <laughs> we know still she's still working in the business. And I only found out later that there never was a trip to Paris. And it was... It's a massive scam in order to sell more tickets. All the other prizes were real. But... Well, you know Brigstock's been doing that ever since, don't you? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Most of his yeah. tours involve yeah. some sort of trip somewhere, which he never comes through on. No. Hello, I'm Justin. And I'm Lucy. And together we are the hosts of Plenty Questions. It's a very straightforward general knowledge quiz. We ask you 20 questions, one after the other, five-second gap in between, and you shout the answers out. And then you tweet us to let us know how you've got on. See if you can get 20 out of 20. No one has so far, but that's because we haven't started doing it yet. Mm, but we will. Uh, and there's also going to be some fiendish brain teasers. So join us for Plenty of Questions. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So, Dan, let's hear a bit about you. So... I guess really for Dan, it's very much BM and AM before Margaret and after Margaret. Oh, um, I see. Right. Which do you prefer? Margaret, cover your ears. <laughs> well, obviously, I was younger BM. There's something to be said about that, hmm. isn't there? Being uh, young. Being young. No, I think AM, obviously, uh, very much, you know. You've got someone who listened to you. After Margaret sounds a bit wrong. Oh, God, oh, yes. yes. still here. During Margaret. Um, yes, you're currently Margareting. Yeah. Is that the best way to put it? CMing. You're I'm in... CMing. I'm CMing. You're CMing. I mean, obviously, after Margaret, I mean, I think I'm going to be <laughs> like a pig in shit. I'm going to be a very... I think I'd make a brilliant widower. So what got you into acting? What started that whole pointless endeavour? 
I was a show off, obviously, at school. In the school yes, plays. Yes. Uh, were you the best? Often, yes, I think. But then I mean, that's, that's, you know, it's not a great pull. No, it's the <laughs> so, dreadful you know. thing about acting in general is you start off and you're very much the best, you know. But then as soon as you start to work with professionals, you realise, oh, I was the best of a bad bunch. Yes. Yes. Um, that keeps going on, doesn't it? Do you find that? And the, the bunch I keep thinking, oh, no, I'm good now. Now I'm doing this and that and this. But, but every time you go up, oh, fuck, they're better than last time. What plays did you do at school? Bugsy Malone? Where's my elephant? <laughs> Where's my elephant? We did, yes. Um, we'll set. Oh, you where, know it. I don't. You, you do know, where there's the where elephant and the man's trying to find it. And he goes around, he goes, you know, he talks to a horse and then he talks to a dog. You must he have seen that, cat. Margaret. Where's me elephant? Really don't know what and he talks, you're Then he talks about. to an evacuee and then he talks <laughs> to a crow. On the surface, it looks very much like a children's play. Yeah, it sounds And like then it becomes quite... Um, dark. Yes. Um, Lorca, doesn't it? I think certainly in my yes. Oh, God, yes. And the scene where everyone's on their knees because their legs have been removed and all that stuff. It's horrible. Yeah. There's a, a strange amount of nudity, which um, in a secondary school was wrong. Animals are nude, aren't they? So if you want well, to that's be the thing. These... If you want to be an actor, you have to commit. You have to be naked. But would yes. you argue that some of your roles, I know, having seen you in various plays and television programmes, possibly didn't mm -hmm. have to be naked? Yes, I would argue that now in retrospect. And that's why I had to leave Hollyoaks, really. Now but you went naked for the casting for Hollyoaks, didn't you? So, I mean, yes, exactly. as far as you were concerned, that was what they wanted. Yes, and they said, I like that they're naked, but it's 6.30 on Channel 4. We can't. Could he be naked underneath some clothes? And I thought, ah, that's clever. Oh, that's that's, that's directing. Yes, but yes. then gradually those clothes just started start coming off. Just a sort of rot, didn't yes, they? Yeah. Until eventually they fell off. Yes, I would just like to always just pop a ball out. If it was out of shot, I would just, it's comfort ball. Is there a glee in that, in knowing no one's aware that yes, you've got a ball account? because it's very freeing, you know, for one of them. And also it just, um, it, makes, it makes it very real and dangerous. Well, it would give you a sort of glint in your eye, mm, mm. you know, there's a little sparkle. Yeah, I think. Yes. It, it, I mean, that you were getting away with it. Yeah, Fred Astaire often did it. <laughs> Did he? Trying. And he was doing a lot of dancing, so that must have been very dangerous, very precarious. Why Ginger Rogers was backing away from him so much. Uh, I think she was doing it all backwards in heels because she was trying to get away from his Covering single it. ball uh, coming towards her. If you slow down singing in the rain, the point where he does that, you know, where he runs up the wall, which is amazing. But if you slow it down, you can well, see his whole Fred tackle oh, out. That's Donald. Donald O'Connor, yes. Mm. They all did it. They all did it. They're all naked Freeing. in the film. Mm. A lot, well, a lot mm. of the clothes had to be drawn on afterwards, of course. Uh, this is the problem. And then in the 70s, it became very sexual and ruined it all, didn't it? Well, that, um, I, that's what I was going to say, Dan. There's absolutely nothing about you that says sexual. Um, <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm a very cold fish, sexually. Uh, nothing gets me going. What gets me going is the idea of a good performance. And yes. to do that, I need at least one part of the you know, the gentle trifecta to be uh, out in the open there. I mean, this is getting me going, I tell you. Well, that, I mean, that's what trifecta. drew you to... Luckily, that's the only thing that will get you excited, isn't it? The idea of Dan yes. performing... It's the stop. phrase genital trifecta. That is, I mean, there's nothing sexier, is there? Yes. I mean, didn't you play genital trifecta in an episode of Star Trek once? Yes, I did. I did. She was, yes, yes, I, yes, I remember I that. Yes. Genital trifecta, a very mysterious character, wasn't she? The costume I thought was brilliant, but obviously became quite a laughing stock over the years. Mm. But I thought it was genius the way they managed to incorporate all that with high heels. Yeah, um, the long nose and the two big cheeks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the genital trifecta. The hairy cheeks. And also there was the council of the genital trifecta, where yes. you know, they were the sort of <laughs> the cosmic rulers, you know, of the universe. Mm. Um, it was a bizarre episode, but I loved it. I really did. Mm. And I'm still waiting to be paid, yeah, it's actually. one of the lost ones, isn't it? Mm, purposefully, I think. The destroyed ones. That's one of the reasons Patrick Stewart refused to do your single, wasn't it? I think it's the only reason, because I can't think yeah. of any other reason why Patrick Stewart wouldn't want to put on a, a dreadlock wig and do a rap. So you did it at school. You were the best of a bad bunch. At what point do you realise I could make a, not only a living 
out of this, but some of the greatest art that has ever been. I went to university very full of hopes and dreams. I wanted to be a director and a proper actor. And then I realised, no, I'll just do some comedy. That's easier, isn't it? Why was that? Was because you kept slipping up and stuff and banging your head on... Well, yes, I've got a very facetious nature, I think. I don't think people believe... It's reverse autism, in a way. When people look at me, they can't recognise my emotions. I mean, that's arguably the worst thing an actor could have, really, isn't it? It really is, yeah. <laughs> so they... It's terrible. We're aware you're I trying can't. to do something, but we've no idea what you're trying to communicate. <laughs> no, I just... Yeah, I'm off the spectrum. So in the end, you had to actually that. write it down and just say yes, it yeah. on the radio. Yes. Yeah, and even then, it was yeah, entirely yeah. monotone, wasn't it? I mean, you couldn't... I know the first well, couple yes. of series, there was no inflection whatsoever, was there? I no, no. To... I mean, it was really very hard for anyone to tell who any of us were, really. There were two, you know, because obviously I forced everyone else to copy my style. I remember seeing you um, in a Shakespeare once where after every line you said, you would turn to the audience and roll your eyes. Was it much ado? I think it was. Why did you do that? Did someone tell you it looked good, the eye-rolling thing? Um, very early on in the rehearsal process, the director had given up on me. As long as I was on the stage when I was supposed to be on the stage and providing the cue lines, uh, no one really cared what I got up to. So you had free reign, you could do anything, but you chose to just do an eye roll after every line. I didn't want to upstage anyone, you know what I mean? You want to be a little bit upstage, but not all the way upstage. This is the problem, Dan, as Margaret will happily tell you. Acting is mm. war, okay? Acting is violent. It's aggressive. <laughs> It's yes. a competition, and there's only going to be one winner. All this stuff about uh, acting is reacting, no, acting is listening, acting is fighting to become the best one on stage. If you're worrying about other people, then you are not going to get very far. Well, no, I was worried that if I drew too much attention to myself, um, I'd be fired. And that lasted throughout your career, did it? Very much, yes. I, I don't know if you've seen my um, show reel. I know my agent... I could only get through well. about 20 seconds, I'm afraid. Well, yes. I mean, MySpace is very slow these days. Isn't it, it is. My agent, it kept her. buffering, yes. It's... Yes, it's just you nodding in the beginning, isn't yes. it? I do a lot of nondescript men who oh, have an attitude, you know... Jobs worth the attitude. So there's a lot of eye rolling in my screen work. I think it's what I'm known for. I roll down. There's an eye roll. Let's get Dan in. And then they go, no, let's not. Let's get someone who can do more than that. We'll do the rest of the part. That's the thing, isn't it, really? Yes, exactly. Yes. Sue was very good at hopping on one leg. You know, for a while she was known as if you need someone to hop on one leg at some point in the show or the Shakespeare or whatever, then get Sue. But yeah, very quickly it came to light that, well, she couldn't read. Um, right, yes. Or, or really speak at anything that was, you know, below a kind of glass-shattering volume. You know? Also, she can't really walk, can she? She'll do hopping, but if, but if she needs two legs, she's just confused and falls over. Well, she's done quite well recently, actually, Margaret. Oh, really? Yes, oh, just to say, you know, I know, no, it's very easy to pick on the afflicted, but Sue has now learnt to walk on her hands. She's actually learnt to eat and drink with her feet. It's really marvellous to watch. Now, is she walking on her hands upside down or like an orangutan might because she has very long arms and they reach below her feet? No, what it was, she had her latest operation, she just had her hands and feet swapped. Oh, Uh, does that make sense? Well, it's an old pervert's trick, isn't it? I didn't sexually assault her. I was just kicking her in the tits. And you had that line, didn't you, in that court drama you were in? Rumpy Pumpy the Baby, the erotic adventures of a barrister. Of a horrible, yeah, horrible it was show. Erotic, Awful. It was I'm glad show. they cancelled it. I really am. Yeah. So, Dan, you got to university. You met the DJ Danny Robbins and the other one. I had graduated, so I was hanging around Bristol. Oh, uh, one of those. Yes, <laughs> three old years. Stayed years. around the university for three years after you'd left. Bristol, the town, Bristol, yes. We would do shows. Lovely. We did Edinburgh, and then at the end of that, 98, we got a BBC show, yes. Your radio show. Very and that was BBC, very, very BBC, successful, yeah. but eventually a, had to end. There was a flurry of excitement in my early <laughs> 20s, which sort of then petered off around the 30-year mark, I think. And, was that and, uh, when Margaret came on the picture? <laughs> no, she'd already been there, so I can't call her a jinx. No, Margaret was a, a boon, uh, has always been a boon. She's a very supportive woman. She's a wonderful woman, strong. She carried you down the aisle in the end, of course. When Yes, she know, did, yes. Well, you were oh, still trying so to read much. that book. 
well, if you've sat down reading a book like Wilt for so long, it's not a long book, but it is... Dense. It's a dense book. It's very funny. So you need to go back and check who all the characters are. My legs had just given up by that point. All my blood drained to my feet. So they were huge. It was a wonderful it was sight, though, I have to say, when we all turned round, The vicar said something like, oh, here they come at last. And Margaret, obviously, breaking down those doors, yeah. carrying yeah. you in a sort of fireman's lift while you were still reading. Yes. And then, screaming i've got him i've got him get this fucking wedding done oi vicar say what you gotta say i want a bloody Mm. drink and the vicar said we're gathered here today is that Stuart lee they go yes yes it is yes believes in god a bit doesn't he yeah and then he got a bit asked about yes yeah he did he did god that was god that was tense wasn't it Uh, what an intake of breath oh my heart went up my ass Mm. Jesus, I mean, and sorry, the... it wasn't Stuart Lee. No, it wasn't you know, Stuart Lee. So it's fine. Now, Margaret, let's hear your side yes. of the story. For those actors listening at home who are thinking, "I want to be an actor. I want to continue being an actor. I also want to get married. Should I do both?" I think you can do both, but you absolutely should marry an accountant. I don't want to say that I regret my marriage. No no one Um, wants to say that, but this is your chance. You know, I've been trying to talk to Dan about this a long time, but it's very, very awkward. So I thought if I did it in the medium of podcast, it might be easier to accept. I mean, what worries me here is that her father's an accountant. Would he cook your books? He was briefly my accountant, but he wasn't very good at it. Oh, yes, you told me. He said you didn't complain for travel. Yes. Yeah. yeah, he's no use to anyone on that. On that. <laughs> that is useless. Um, he's the worst accountant ever, isn't he? All right, no, it doesn't have to be an accountant, but just something very, very secure no. and sensible. Or, I would say, if you are an actor thinking of getting married to mm. another actor, yes. make sure first that that actor is hugely successful. Has the wherewithal to either facilitate your, let's face it, hobby, or put you in things. You know, it's vital that you can be put in things, you know. You're saying an actor needs a sugar daddy or, or mummy? <laughs> yes, or a director, maybe. You know, a very famous director. If you marry them, that'd be good. Not a writer, God, no. Don't. They've got no say. But, you know, I don't know if you've seen Mike Lee's Wives. He started well, but the last few have been terrible, you know. But they're still in his awful films, aren't they? You know? Oh, no, I've got no on oh, yeah. All that business. And what you can do is give up acting, mm. become a, say, a cobbler or a supermarket assistant. A dog catcher. Dog catcher, anything. Tell yourself if, and anyone who asks in your family that you're working on a part for Mike Lee. Oh, that's very good. So you're living as a dog catcher in order to be in Dogcatcher's Blues. Better still, a Terry Gilliam thing, because the trouble with Mike Lee is that they do eventually turn up, don't they? The well, no, there, is that, there is that story about Mike Lee giving someone a part and saying, what I want you to do is go away for six months and be a school caretaker. And then <laughs> six months go past, and then a year goes past, and the guy rings up and, and Mike Lee says, oh, oh no, God, sorry, I forgot about that, that character. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> But you're right, you can always say to your family, I'm working on something Mm. secret and amazing. What, and then you'll just hope they all sort of pass away before before it would have come out? Yes, tell the old ones that, Yes, okay. No, that's a very good idea, actually. Jealousy, let's talk about that. How does that work between the two of you? Because, Margaret, you must be fuming a lot of the time. (laughs) I think if I had married someone who had very similar casting to me I might find it more difficult but as it is I'm genuinely delighted every time Dan gets everything and then I feel like a better person as well because I think look at me being happy for somebody else and that's very rare that I feel that so you're a team uh, you're a team yeah I I find every time Margaret gets a job it's a right old faff for me because obviously, you know, someone has to look after the kids now, yeah. and that's got to be me now, isn't it? And, you know, there's no time to just to be me, really. Now I'm suddenly having to, I'm a house husband. It's a real, uh, you know, oh, I'm off on tour, loves. And then suddenly she's out the door. Oh, I've got to do a podcast in Manchester. All right, okay, yes. And, I've and I to... don't really. No, I'm just does. sick of the kids. You just go out for a walk to Manchester. <laughs> Have you ever tried to sort of um, subconsciously convince her to give up? (laughs) I think the the industry does that so regularly on its own. Yes, no, it's a tough business. It really is. I can just play the good guy there while they're doing that work for me, I think. 
And what about uh, performing together? Have you ever done that? Would you ever do that? And when can we see it? <laughs> and how much do we have to pay to get in? Because I haven't got a is lot. It, is no, it this? it's pay what you can, I think we do. <laughs> You're doing this now, aren't you, I suppose? But yes. what, what I'm trying to say, have you ever tried to write a sitcom or something together? No. 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 And, no. Was that a... and as I've always said, I need to be able to slag off the people I'm working with. And I need to find them sexually arousing. <laughs> so together, terrible. Job. Right off. Yeah. And never the twain shall meet. So, yes. Yeah. Right, yes, exactly. Now. So someone like Windsor Davis, exactly. Someone yes. Like... I don't know how his sexy writing is. Sexy Windsor Davis. <laughs> I don't know. Just something nice to look at. Oh. Sexy Davis is a very good Halloween costume. <laughs> <laughs> it's suspenders, and, but a tweed waistcoat. Oh, we're doing that. Let's do sexy, never the sexy twain. Sexy Davis leads as a Halloween <laughs> costume. Well, I'm going to have to cut it there. Thanks very much to Dan and Margaret. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. I was talking as if there was an audience there. I am. I'm a man, I'm a man, is who I am. Now it's time for my bedtime anecdote, which is arguably a little outdated, but then arguably so am I. I, like many of you, were absolutely thrilled to take part in the weekly clap-alongs for our NHS and other key workers the last three years or however long it's been since we've been stuck in this crisis. It had in fact become part of my weekly routine that every Thursday at eight on the dot I march out of my humble Bordeaux and join my neighbours on the streets to cheer on the troops who've been battling for us in the front line. The key workers, the mighty NHS warriors, I'm blowing them kisses right now. I marched out into the streets, or street, I only live on one street, obviously. Is it possible to live on two streets? Maybe a junction, or if you lived on a roundabout, which I did, of course, after a particularly slow year in 76. But out I went, megaphone in hand, to triumphantly shout out my hurrahs for the NHS, and of course to keep the neighbours in check. Climb from number two. You are three steps from entering Anna's germ bubble. Please reverse. Mr. Sobty from number 12, I can hear your windy nostrils from here. Keep your nasal debris to yourself. I love you all, my little fishers, and that's why I'm packing mace. It's tough, love. You'll thank me for it when it's over. It's keep six foot distance now or six feet under later. Your choice. Of course, all that's gone out the window now. Everyone's just doing whatever they want. But anyway, for a while it lasted. And afterwards, I would use my megaphone to direct everyone back to their homes, like a sort of Japanese general instructing prisoners of war to their huts, which in many ways we were and weren't. But I couldn't help but feel a little blue. There we were, cheering the key workers. And I don't mean to make this all about me, but I couldn't help but feel a little bit ignored. I struggle with other people getting applause, even if they are literally heroes. I can't help it. I live for the stage. Cut me in half and stare at my blood beneath a magnifying glass. You'll see all those weird little smiley, cryy theatre masks you can buy at any good open market. When I hear applause, it's like Pavlov's dog hearing that ringing bell. I salivate. I'm not exaggerating, darlings. I have to wear a bib at curtain calls. I've had to bow while stood in a puddle of my own spittle. My appetite for adulation is insatiable. I search deep within, darlings, and I ask myself, is it too late for me to become a key worker? What role would I play? I know what you're all thinking, and yes, you're right. I would look utterly jaw-droppingly spectacular in a nurse's uniform. Who needs to be prescribed Prozac to lift your spirits when you would have this cougar leap out of a giant cake? I don't know if they still do that nowadays. They used to do that in hospitals at birthdays and such. They probably can't afford it anymore. But no, I couldn't study to be a doctor. I can barely read. So I was feeling very low. Was I useless? Had acting been a waste of my life? Should I have spent that time helping others instead of helping myself to Shakespeare's wonderful word truffles, if you will? And I did. I found myself sprawled on the couch like a clinically depressed Cleopatra, throwing endless packets of space invaders down my black hole. I barely even bothered to open the packets. 
On the other side of the room was my best friend, Sue Clinch. She was in the middle of eating her morning frosties. She never uses a bowl, just squeezes her head into the box like a horse's feed bag. She's not well, bless her. It's a horrific sight. Tony the Tiger's head on that body. Kellogg's would sue if they saw, and rightly so. In a moment of rage, I suddenly yell out, Sue, give me the definition for key worker. Tony the Tiger, Sue, turns to me and yells, Who do you think I am, bloody Alexa? I then hear Sue's Godzilla-sized hands bashing on the keyboard and yelling out, A key worker is someone who provides an essential service to society. I leap to my feet like a nimble sprite and I shriek, In other words, an actor. No, that's basically the opposite, Anna, Sue replied. But luckily, I've learned to turn down the volume on the Sue Clinch show when I don't want to hear it. The Sue Clinch show should have been axed years ago, in my opinion. It was a revelation, a moment of clarity. I, Anna Man, already am a key worker. What have I ever done if not provide an essential service to society? And when I say essential, I mean essential. Not food or medical help or, I don't know, oxygen. Anna kazumps all of those because she feeds the people the ultimate life source that is theatre. When I look back on my years of stage and screen, my best times weren't spent at stuffy premieres or endless repetitive sex parties. A brief side note, by the way, between you and me, darlings, I knew exactly when sex parties became boring. And that was when I started wearing a Fitbit. And the motive was no longer the orgasm so much as registering calories burnt. I had to move on after that. Anyway, all that stuff was hollow and empty, just the trappings of fame. But when I was given a chance to make a real connection with you, the real people, you at home with your grubby faces and your big smiles and your glaring empty eyes, that's when I really felt alive. And I don't just mean at the National for £500 a ticket. I've taken theatre directly to the people. For example, way back in the late 80s, I saw John Nettles queuing up in Quicksave to buy a box of Italian breadsticks. He was always ahead of his time. No one else was buying breadsticks in the 80s. Well, one thing I've learned is to never slam the door shut to Montreux Opportunity when he comes knocking. Nettles was, of course, at that time, wowing the nation and breaking down conventions left, right and centre with his groundbreaking detective show, Bergerac. This was my chance. I look around, grab a frozen lollipop. I think it was a Zoom. It may have been a Twister. It may have been a Fab and a bottle of tomato ketchup, and then and then I perform a death scene worthy of a Bergerac finale. Using a shelf stacker as my stooge, I proceed to pretend he's murdering me. As I stand in the middle of the supermarket, stabbing myself with a frozen lolly, ketchup blood spurting into the air and onto the faces of screaming children and OAPs, a multi-generational choir of screams are heard, echoing around the walls via netters. John Nettles turns to look at me. He examines me hard, intrigued, I know. Then he gazes down at his suede loafers, now drenched in ketchup. And I know I've left my mark on the TV star. You can't get anything out of suede. I never heard back from John. To be honest, I'm not even sure he had that much to do with the casting process for Bergerac. To be honest, I wasn't entirely sure it was John Nettles. But never mind. I had won a greater triumph that day... These people would never forget my performance. It would be retold in therapist rooms across the country for decades to come. I made those people wake up from their everyday slumber and feel alive. And if that's not providing a service, well, I don't know what is. So, on that final Thursday clap-along, I stood side by side with my neighbours, cheering on the heroes one last time, and I felt a real sense that they were also clapping for me. And no matter what Sue Clinch says, I don't think it was arrogant. I split away from the masses, and I stood in the middle of the road, and I took a bow. Thank you, I cried through the megaphone. Thank you. The crowd looked a little confused, and in fact Clive from number two looked entirely murderous. But then Sue said something to him. I didn't quite catch what it was. It was something like, She's not well. No, it, it couldn't have been that. That's what I said about her. It couldn't have been that, could it? Anyway, they all sort of look at me full of pity, but also a deep gratitude, I think. 
Eventually Sue thunders over and said, Time to come in now, Anna. Come on, love. Lifting me in her strong arms, I was borne back to our flat like a happy bird being carried to a flat, re-energised, renewed. So even though I have found much of this lockdown very hard and I felt so desperately unloved, for a moment I was back where I was born to be, basking in the adoration of the public. God, I miss the stage, my darlings. So here's to all those other key workers keeping this country going. God bless you and God bless acting. Anyway, my darlings, I hope you've enjoyed this slightly new look or new sound to my podcast. It's going to be coming out every week again, as of next week. I imagine this won't be out on Wednesday, but you know. So the anecdotes are connected, the little stories about Sue are connected, and the interviews are connected. I put all the best things into one wonderful picnic of podcast. Thank you so much, everyone who's been listening, and all the Patreons out there. You can help with patreon.com. I apologise for my lack of putting anything on there recently but um i think i've got all my fingers out of all the asses now so we'll see anyway love your kids stay safe you've been listening to Man, starring colin holt edited by dan snellgrove part of the great big owl family please subscribe review and share you can find colin on instagram Twitter, Facebook and YouTube and the same goes for um, Anna Man. Just look it up, you'll find it. I'm Sue Clinch. Uh, Tra. GreatBigOwl.com Welcome to All Rather Mysterious, the podcast that aims to unlock the mysteries of the past with the key of fact. My name is John Rain. My name is Eleanor Morton. My name is David Reed. Please join us as we present to you mysteries that have baffled the world. You had any noises? What about um, a door creaking? Uh, you, don't, uh, you don't have to do this. That so. weird kadook that yeah, lights going off makes for some reason in films. <laughs> All rather mysterious. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.